Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, October 25th. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And this is where we wrap up the week that was in week 8 of the 2010 Division Three football season. Look forward to week 9. And in week 8, we had one team join the playoff field of 32. DePaul looks like they're going to go for two in the win. How about this? Spreading the field. Under center and single. Four wide receivers. Engel drops the throw. Looking for the end zone. Fires it up there, and it is... Two-point conversion to Paul Mason. Evans makes the grab. And what a gutsy call. 32-31. I got a handshake from the Trinity fans. They appreciate that move, but oh my goodness. Ryan Marine on the call for WGRE, the campus station at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, as the Tigers. <laughs> Keith, they uh, they went for broke, basically, uh, having struggled so many times in San Antonio. Uh, Trinity really having its number on, uh, on DePaul's last trip to San Antonio as a member of the SCAC. They finally got to exercise the demons. Yeah, and, and not only got to do it, but got to do it in dramatic fashion. You know, th- that game got close and got crazy for them really in in the fourth quarter and and uh it looked like almost more of the same you know um DePaul driving and then had a 67 yard interception return yeah, with a minute 19 left that put Trinity up 34 21 and it sounded it was going to be a uh, perhaps a dramatic loss for them and and, and was going to make the the SEAC picture kind of uh kind of cloudy you know and then they put together five plays, 62-yard drive, scored uh, in 53 seconds, uh, with 20 seconds left on a 34-yard on pass from Michael Angle, Michael Angle to Alex Kors. And then they did, you know, not the unthinkable because the the standard saying is, you know, you go for two on the road and, and you play for the tie at home. And I I'm, I don't know how big a fan of that particular saying I am. I mean, I think you go with, with whatever you feel like is your best play. And is your best chance to win, whether it's whether it's to keep on playing in overtime or you have a good two-point play to uh, to win the game. But DePaul, it's really really kind of gutsy if you think about it. They went for two, uh, got it, and clinched the playoff berth. Just just really one of the finishes that makes you love football. Fifty-three seconds uh, compared to one of the games we'll talk about a little bit later is just a luxurious amount of time to to mount a scoring drive, but. Uh, but for DePauw, it's a it's a chance they get back into the field. And, of course, uh, last year, Keith, uh, DePauw got into the field and then lost to Wabash, lost the Monon Bell game, and then, you know, it pretty much got uh, got blitzed out of the playoffs, uh, one and done, right out of the gate. You know, this is being the first team that's clinched, clinching really early. And for a team that's, you know, not really accustomed to going to the playoffs on a regular basis, what do you do with the rest of the season? They've got a they've got a, a non conference conference game, so to speak, against Birmingham Southern. They have a, a conference game against Austin College, and then of course they have the the Monon Bell game. So even if you focus on the big rivalry game at the end of the season, they still have two more weeks to play between now and then. Yeah, I don't think you can take your foot off the gas in, in these kind of situations. You know, you, you want to be, I guess, as careful as possible in the sense that if you get up big on somebody, maybe you take some of your starters out. If you have somebody that that's questionable to go, if they're healing from a, you know, a hamstring or a, uh, you know, some kind of pulled muscle or some something where they're banged up and, and they're sort of week to week, you know, maybe you sit them out a couple weeks and you try to bring them back for the Moan and Bell game. Um, but but I don't know if you can if you can take your foot off the gas necessarily because if you get out of the, if you get into a rhythm and you're playing good from week to week and you and you know here you are you're an undefeated team yeah, you, you got a quarterback who's in his first year starting for you but he's playing well the offense is is working out well and uh, you know you're not necessarily winning all these games uh, in, in the Tigers' case by by huge margins so it's not like they have no things to work on you know i think i think they still uh you know try to play these last few games out hard and of course you know for the for the rivalry game with with wabash you know uh wabash may be in a situation where they're they've clinched their playoff berth you know because they'll they'll be playing um wittenberg actually i think the week the week right before yes uh, the mona bell game they'll play uh that game, I believe, on the sixth. I thought I wrote it down here somewhere, but that's I don't right. See it. But anyway, yeah. So they're playing that game November sixth. Then they'll turn around and play the the Mona Bell game on uh, on the thirteenth. And uh, so it could be a situation where those two teams are both clinched and in the playoffs, 
and and I wouldn't expect either of them to to uh, you know to lay up anything, and, and you know in some cases we've heard them talk about this in the past where the uh, the playoff berth is almost secondary to winning that rivalry game. Of course, that is one automatic bid clinch. There are 23 automatic bids to the uh, the 32-team playoff field here in, in NCAA Division Three football where we crown our champion on the field. Uh, teams that are not in those 23 conferences have three bids set aside for them. Those bids are what's commonly referred to as Pool B, and uh, those, uh, those conferences are uh, the Independents, uh, the University Athletic Association, the Eastern Collegiate Football Conference, uh, the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference. Those are the uh, and the ACFC, the Atlantic Central. Those are the teams that are competing for those three bids. Everybody left over at once those 26 teams have been selected go into what's called Pool C, and these are the true at-large teams. And you know, as the as the number of automatic bids grows, this number is. It may not shrink, but it's going to be harder and harder to attain one of these bids. And uh, with with six teams uh, only going uh, going to get one of these spots, we identified just at the outset, before you even consider uh, the potential of some conference upsets here at the uh, end of the regular season, we identified a dozen teams. Um, and that doesn't, like I said, that doesn't include someone like Hampton Sydney who could fall into the field or Wittenberg who could fall into the field, teams like that. But talking about the teams that, uh, you know, look to be locks at this point, I'm not sure we have, uh, you know, and, and everything that we say here, obviously, uh, is going to be with the understanding that we would project the team to win out. So, you know, obviously a, a two-loss team is not going to be, or a three-loss team won't be in this discussion. If we call them a lock, it's because we think they're going to finish 8-1 and one or 9-1, and one, and we're working off of that. And, and you, you start at the, the top of the, uh, the, the, the two major criteria, basically. You've got regional win-loss percentage, because everybody has one of those, and you have a strength of schedule, and everybody has one of those. Not everybody may have common opponents with everybody else or a head-to-head result against somebody else in the field. Uh, or on the board, but everybody's going to have those two things that so we start at the top with Ohio Northern and with the you know the even if you go by the unofficial criteria that you figured the second best team in the Ohio Athletic Conference at nine and one is going to get get in and they get in more far more often than not Ohio Northern fits that unofficial criteria as well yeah well it really fit the official criteria pat in the sense that they are they're pretty much got the the strongest Strength of schedule at this point, or right at the top of the list, there with uh, with, with Rowan, um, you know, for for Ohio Northern to be at the at the top of this group, I think is uh, you know, they I mean they they still have um, they have they have to finish strong and and they they have already they have already beaten Baldwin Wallace, so we figure we figure they've they've taken care of their their toughest opponent. They've already lost to Mount Union. So they're in a situation where if they finish strong, they finish nine and one. They have what we we think is probably a playoff spot. But but Pat, you mentioned it uh, in the intro to this this segment right here is is you've only got six spots. We we've identified really in a group of thirteen teams. You know nine really strong teams, and then four teams uh, that that are that are possibilities if some things were to fall certain ways. You know three way ties. Uh, or what have you, but Ohio Northern right there at the top of the list with the uh, with the strength of schedule. Rowan is next on our strength of schedule list, and if you're looking for uh, strength of schedule numbers on our site, you can go uh, to the front page or, or any page where you have a uh, where you have the news menu drop down at the bottom there uh, alphabetically is strength of schedule, and these numbers. Uh, because of the Division Three philosophy and then the way that uh, the championships committees and all the sports have decided they, that they want to interpret that, these numbers include only regional games. So for Ohio Northern, um, yeah, their strength of schedule is really high. It doesn't take into account the uh, the Wisconsin River Falls game at the beginning of the season. That would actually be a drag on their strength of schedule uh, because, uh, you know, River Falls has not won a a game so that that doesn't uh, that doesn't help them there but uh moving down to second on the list with the uh, among the uh, among the one loss teams or the teams that could finish with one loss uh is Rowan and you know Rowan Keith is a a team we haven't had to talk about on the national scene too much lately but they're sitting here at 6 and 1 and, and currently with an SOS of over 600 yeah and and that number over 600 Pat, um you know if we have to quantify it and, and tell people what it means, all these strength of schedule numbers are basically 
uh, how'd you describe it before? Um, shades over 500 or under 500. So, so a, a strength of schedule number of, of 600 is really strong. Rowan also, you know, you talked about Ohio Northern not having, um, not be not counting the the Wisconsin River Falls game because it's a non-region game, and uh, they're in the same same boat as Rowan, where they have nine conference games and they only have that one opportunity to schedule a non-conference game. Rowan's non-conference game was against Lycoming, which uh, lost on Saturday, but is still five and two. So they are actually, you know, where River Falls would be a drag on Ohio Northern. Rowan actually gets a little bit of a boost from its non-conference game, and that probably helps its strength of schedule number. Rowan is going to dip, however, and I should mention uh, that, of course, the strength of schedule numbers only include games that have already been played. So Rowan down the stretch is going to is going to take a hit here. Uh, they play Morrisville State, which is uh, which is one and six. They play Western Connecticut, which is zero and seven, and then they're at TCNJ, which is currently three and four. So uh, they're they're six oh five now. They've got a good buffer uh, that's going to that's going to hold them up for a little while, but. That number is going to slip, and they may come back down to the pack a little bit. Uh, next on the list, Keith, is a, uh, a team that uh, is currently undefeated, but uh, facing another undefeated team here before the uh, the end of the regular season, and that is uh, Wheaton. Yeah, and, and the reason we put Wheaton here is uh, even though they're seven and zero right now, and North Central seven and zero, they would be they sort of have. Um, I guess this is more like insurance. I guess if they lose the little brass bell game against North Central, they would still be the third strongest team in, in, as far as strength of schedule. Whereas if North Central was to lose that game, they're, they're much further down the list because of their, their strength of schedule. Uh, you know, for, for Wheaton, before, I guess before we go too, too much further too, Pat, we should mention because as you get into these conversations at different places around the site, whether it's, you know, through reading one of our around the nation or around the region columns, or if it's on um, somewhere on the message board on post patterns, or if you hear us talking about it on the podcast, you'll hear a couple different variations. You'll hear a strength of schedule, which is a composite of uh, it's two thirds of your opponent's winning percentage, and then one third of your opponent's opponent's winning percentage. So um, even if a team you play doesn't have a great year, like River Falls would, would be an example, I guess. They're, they are 0-7, but they're in a conference with a whole bunch of other teams that have great years, which I guess that's actually not a great example. Maybe if you play somebody from the CCIW, where even if you play a low team in the CCIW, but all the other CCIW teams are, are having good years, you know, you do benefit from that. So it, it's sort of, I guess, meant to, to reward teams who play stronger teams or come from stronger conferences, and you, you get that, that SOS number. You know, try not to lose you here with these letters. The SOS comes from the OWP and the OOWP, two-thirds OWP, one-third OOWP. And I think I may have just confused our, our uh, listeners a little bit more, but uh, if you follow along, it'll all make sense. <laughs> Perhaps, but uh, if you go, uh, as a reader, if you go to the contact menu and see FAQ, uh, that stands for Frequently Asked Questions. There's a whole list of stuff about the playoffs. Also, the, the strength of schedule page uh tells you what all the uh all the alphabet soup means but uh yeah basically the nca uh, over the last few years boiled strength of schedule down to the one number and that's the uh that's the number that we're kind of taking our, our our ranking by indeed north central uh it does uh, appear further down the list they're not uh if if they lost to wheaton they would not be in as good a position as wheaton would be uh, if if Wheaton lost to North Central, Wheaton's the better at-large candidate. Moving on is a uh, next is a, a team that is a a bit of a question mark, and we don't know quite what to make of Co. Co. with a a strong strength of schedule now uh, that that's going to dip a little bit because they've already played the uh, the two strongest teams in their conference, and their out of conference games were against uh, NAIA schools, Iowa Wesleyan and Olivet Nazarene, uh, neither of which uh, is, is is obviously in a position to help. Uh, co with its strength of schedule, and then when you throw in the the whole Iowa conference potential three way tie scenario, the Iowa is a little bit difficult to to figure out. But uh, we're still looking at Co here with a with a strong strength of schedule. Just not sure what it means with only a four and one record in region. Yeah, Pat, you, you brought up a couple of points. The one being the the four and one regional record. You know, we haven't seen too many scenarios. I think where where teams have been penalized um, for having fewer in conference games but that's certainly in in division or in region games i guess is what i should say whereas if co were to be being compared 
uh, against a team that's say seven and one or eight, or by the end of the season, you know, nine and one in region, and Co is only seven and one by virtue of, of having played two NAIA opponents. That is something that could hurt them. Uh, for the for the first four teams on our list, Pat, you also mentioned Co having played its two its two um, power teams already with the one win. Uh, against Central and then the loss against Wartburg. You know they'll they'll be sitting back on uh, on November sixth, watching what happens at Central when when Wartburg goes down there to play. You know that that could turn that that uh, Iowa Conference race into a, a three way tie. Uh, it could it could clinch things for Wartburg and then Co would be sitting fourth right now where where we have you know our teams ranked in in Pool C. They are a pretty strong Pool C candidate. And uh, certainly they'll, since, they, like I said, they've, they've played their tough teams already, they'll be taking an interest in some of the other games happening around their conference and around the country uh, among the teams that we mentioned right here in Pool C. One of the things about teams that, that don't have uh, Division three opponents in their out-of-conference schedule is, yeah, it, it, it may not necessarily hurt them per se, uh, but what they lose out on is a, a chance to... Uh, at the very least, uh, gain a head-to-head against somebody or gain a common opponent against another team when you're going up uh, for for regional rankings. It's, it's a helpful uh, tool just to figure out, uh, help the committee figure out where to slot teams or between uh, when you're talking about teams from different regions which are on the board at the same time to try to get into the playoff field. Those are opportunities that Co doesn't have because Olivet Nazarene and Iowa Wesleyan are not going to be common in region opponents for anybody. Uh, moving next down on the list, uh, Keith is a, maybe a bit of a surprise, but uh, Redlands having uh, having played again its, um, its its strongest two opponents uh, in terms of regional record in the uh, in the Skyhawk already. Uh, they lost to Cal Lutheran. That's why they're in this discussion because they're uh, because uh, they're a one loss team now. Uh, they they beat Claremont Mud Scripts. Uh, you know, Claremont Mudscripts is probably not going to finish eight and one, but they're five and one right now. Uh, they have Laverne left, which is zero and six. They have Whittier left, which is one and five, and then a uh, a game against Chapman, which is three and two in region. So it, it's going to slip again a little bit for Redlands as well. Yeah, but but this is one of the cases where um, that opponents opponents winning percentage will help them a little bit because Redlands' first two wins, their non-conference games, were uh, one was at East Texas Baptist, which is in the American Southwest, and uh, and, and the other one was against Whitworth, which is in the Northwest Conference. And and uh, if those numbers shake out like I think they will, that'll that'll help them a little bit. And um, you know, for Redlands, they they're a team that we forgot about a little bit because their their loss to Cal Lutheran came the first week of uh, October. So it, you know, it was early in the season, and we sort of already counted them out of the uh, not counted them out, but they're they're sort of uh, they're they're running behind, they're running second at best in the uh, in the Sky Act. They're trailing Cal Lutheran, and, and, and they need uh, they need somebody to beat Cal Lutheran. Now we've seen three-way tie scenarios in, in the Skyac before, but I don't think this is one of those years with Occidental being down and with Claremont Mudstrips, you know, being up a little bit. They're the, they're the third team, but they're not a team that we normally consider to be a challenger for the conference title. So now you're looking at a, at a situation where basically Redlands uh, is already out of the conference race in the first week of October. So they dropped off the national radar a little bit. They weren't top 25, but they're really only a two-point loss you know, and, and they lined up for a field goal in that game, a 40-yard field goal. It would have given them a chance to win. Remember, they blocked that field goal, and that was something that we wrote about in, in around the nation that week with that the week with all that those great special teams plays. But Redlands, you know, they uh, we haven't seen where where a committee would take the the score or the loss itself into account. You know how close it was, and and I I bring that up because that's always anecdotal evidence for me. But um, you know, we've seen years where nine and one team. With uh, with an overtime loss by a touchdown, gets left out of the field. So a lot of these uh, things that that we like to talk about as fans aren't, aren't the things that the committee is looking are looking at. The th- the things that the committee looks at is what we're talking about here, Pat. Is that strength of schedule number and Redlands right now fifth among the teams that we consider to be Pool B candidates. And uh, the good number for them, 581, you know, right behind Coe, really, at 582. And, Pat, you did talk about how their number will probably drop a little bit when they play these next three teams, Laverne, Whittier, and Chapman. But that uh, that, that number right now puts them fifth behind Ohio, Ohio Northern, Rowan, Wheaton, and Coe. And, of course, it should be mentioned that uh, Redlands is in this discussion because they beat Occidental on Saturday night and beat them handily, 51-7, to breaking a, a long losing streak to the Tigers. Uh, next down on the list is a, a team that uh, 
you know, just joined uh, the ranks of the Pool C contenders on Saturday uh, as uh, St. John Fisher lost at Alfred 42-31. to uh, Fisher has a, a non-region game coming up against Frostburg State at home, and then they are home to Springfield, uh, which had been one of the other contenders at the beginning of the season in the Empire 8, and then they have a, a, a bye in Week 11 to, uh, I guess, uh, sit around and potentially ponder their fate. But right now, their uh, strength of schedule has them in a pretty good position. Yeah, they're at 568, which is uh, still in the in the top six right now, and it's in it's in this group. There's going to be a big cutoff here after we get to Bethel, which is at 560, and then the numbers really drop much closer to 500. And I, I, th- I think after that that number seven, uh, it, it, there's some other strong pool C candidates, and, and the numbers might go up. And of course, there's opportunity for things to change. But St. John Fisher is still sitting in that group where um, they're they're a good pool C candidate, and. And right now, that's probably not a whole lot of consolation for them because that loss to Alfred, you know, before that, they were in not only the driver's seat in the Empire 8, but they were in good shape to get themselves a home game in the playoffs and potentially be a number one seed in the playoffs. You know, they were undefeated uh, at 7-0 and going into Saturday's game. They had the strength of schedule. They had strong opponents. They were, they were, they were convincing in their victories. They had all the, all the anecdotal things, and they had all the things that are listed on the playoff criteria to put themselves in really good shape in the playoffs. And now, Pat, as you mentioned, you know, without having a game in week 11, they may have, they may have wrapped up a nine and one season already, and they'll be waiting potentially in week 11 or just watching with great interest, you know, probably refreshing the site around four o'clock Eastern time on Saturday and seeing these scores roll in and seeing if any of those other pool C contenders lose. And and that's the kind of situation it, it can turn into sometimes when you have you know, 13 teams trying to vie for six at-large spots. Yeah, St. John Fisher is the the first of these teams that we've talked about that is not really uh, likely to take a big strength of schedule hit with their remaining games. We mentioned they only have two games remaining. Only one of them is in region, so only one of them really counts in the primary selection criteria. And, uh, you know, Springfield, their remaining opponent, is currently 5-2. and two. So, uh, at the very least... You know, it, the, you figure the the worst that uh, Springfield can do is lose going in. That's one extra loss, but does still is, is going to put uh, is still actually going to add to St. John Fisher's number. Uh, you mentioned Bethel, Keith. Uh, Bethel uh, uh, at five sixty with a uh, a close loss again. You know, numerically not something that or uh, you know, the quality of loss per se isn't something that that's part of the official criteria. Yeah, they kind of maybe used it a little bit last year by in, in selecting Washington and Jefferson somehow over St. Norbert, but um, you know, it, it's it, it's kind of hard to tell where things will go. But Bethel, at the very least, uh, has has looked good, and they they uh, they looked really strong defensively on uh, Saturday against St. Thomas. But they need to obviously win out, and their number's going to drop as well with Concordia, Moorhead, Hamlin, and Augsburg still on the slate. Yeah, and right now they're the last team sort of above the big split in the strength of schedule number. It drops from, from 560 at Bethel right down to 512 Harden-Simmons. And, and, Pat, you mentioned these numbers will change, and, and you mentioned that, that anecdotally, you know, I think Bethel maybe outside of, you know, this thing that we, that we like to bring up year after year where if, where if you finish 9-1 and one behind, with your only loss being the Mountain Union, that's about as strong a pool C candidate as there is. Bethel's in a real similar situation. If they finish nine and one with their only loss to an undefeated St. Thomas team, and it's a ten to six loss, you know, so not only did they they um, keep it close, but they kept St. Thomas off the scoreboard. And, and St. Thomas has been a team that, that, except for against St. John's, you know, they've been able to put up uh, points at will. So anecdotally, that that's going to look like a, a, a really solid contender but they're also strong on the numbers as well and and what Bethel really has to do is just finish out the season strong win win the rest of their regular season games and they'll be right there in the discussion you know right now we have them with the seventh strongest strength of schedule number they have a six and one um in region mark and like I said and like you said the uh the uh one loss will be to St. Thomas 10 to 6 on Saturday you know again just just as we said with St. John Fisher it's not a whole lot of consolation Coming off that loss on Saturday, we had high hopes. You know, putting yourself at least for Bethel, you know, they would have been actually by surprise a little bit in in the Mayak driver's seat. But as they start to to digest that loss, put it behind them, and look forward, they're really one of the strongest pool C contenders uh, out here. So, so we move down to uh, Harden Simmons Keith, and you know, now we're in a position where we're we're talking about uh, teams that are. 
you know, on the bubble. And, and pretty much anybody after, almost anybody after Ohio Northern and the, the CCIW runner-up is probably on the bubble because there are so few Pool C bids uh, in the first place to talk about. But, um, you know, Harden-Simmons uh, numbers haven't looked good. But then again, in the past, you know, teams that play in these uh, in these large kind of closed conferences don't necessarily do well in, in terms of strength of schedule because there are so few out-of-conference uh, games to play with. And Harden-Simmons certainly went out and scheduled aggressively in playing Whitworth and Willamette. Yeah, and, and I wonder if, if the committee will recognize that, um, you know, that they made the effort to uh, to get games that, w- that would push them. And, and, you know, if it were you and me on the committee, Pat, and, and we had influence over such things, which we don't. Um, yeah, we don't, we and would, it's worth mentioning. certainly be in favor of teams... <laughs> it, it's true. I mean, you know, the, the best we do is, is um, discuss it a little bit on the podcast and, and in our columns what we what we think, and, and we're able to sort of guess what the committee does a lot of years with with great accuracy. You know, within one team uh, of of the thirty two that actually end up in the group, but 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 we're following their criteria the way we would expect them to follow their own criteria. So it doesn't necessarily mean the teams that we would take. And, and every year we probably end up in the discussion. You know, with a couple of strong two-loss teams that played really tough schedules, that that probably should be in the playoffs again over some of the teams that end up making it. But that you know, this is the hand we're dealt. This is the way that, that the system's been built. It's for uh, for open access, for fair access, for teams to get in. Um, and, you know, they try to keep it on that 7.5 teams to one ratio. They, every team in the country right now starts, you know, with a path to the playoffs, whether they be uh, the, through Pool A. Uh, or Pool C with the, for the runners-up, or or the Pool B team. So that, that's sort of the the um, the road that's been paved. And for for a team like Harden Simmons, which went out and scheduled Whitworth, we, you know, a team that's been a playoff team in the past, not having a great year this year, and then scheduled Willamette, which has also been a playoff team, and then had to turn around and play Mississippi College, Mary Harden Baylor, and then the rest of that uh, American Southwest schedule. They've fared pretty well, and, and right now they're they're. Uh, the first team in that after that big split in the strength of schedule number, but they're seven and one in region, and uh, their their strength of schedule number should go up because their final two games are McMurray and uh, and Louisiana College, and um, you know McMurray's five and two, Louisiana College having a little bit of a tough season, but um, for their expectations that they have, but they're four and three, so uh, the number could go up a little bit, and I think Harden Simmons' biggest worry might actually be losing to one of those two teams. Pacific Lutheran next on the list, and really in a virtual tie with uh, with Harden Simmons, and an interesting position too, Keith, because uh, obviously uh, they've got a couple of uh, common opponents. You know, certainly if if both teams end up with one loss, it means that Pacific Lutheran has beaten Willamette uh, as they've already beaten Whitworth uh, and, and Harden Simmons and beat those two teams too. So it, it may be a, a bit of a wash. But uh, you know, my question to you is, what do you think about Pacific Lutheran um, and its chances, you know, compared to uh, compared to Cal Lutheran, and does it help if Cal Lutheran goes on to win the Skyac? I think it absolutely helps if Cal Lutheran goes on to win the Skyac. If, if you've beaten a team, and that team is uh, also a team that gets in the playoff field, it, it helps your strength of schedule. It also helps in the criteria in terms of having common opponents with with other playoff teams. This is if if um, Pacific Lutheran finishes behind Linfield, Pacific Lutheran will have a win over a team that Linfield lost to in Cal Lutheran. So there's that interesting interesting triangle between those three teams. But I think, you know, something that, that will come into play here is, um, at least for the, the conspiracy theorists out there who, who think the, uh, the, the you know, NCAA-mandated penny-pinching in the first round plays a role in who gets in the playoffs is this is going to give give us an odd number of West Coast teams. And so Pacific Lutheran, uh, they're going to have to have a, a very solid case to get in. If, if they're on the bubble, um, you know, I, I don't know whether they're going to get in. But having that win over Cal Lutheran, Cal Lutheran finishes out strong, clinches the Sky Act, that's going to be a very strong um, argument in their favor because there aren't going to be a whole lot of other teams that, uh, that have a victory over another conference champion, a whole lot of other runner runners up, you know, in this pool C discussion that have a victory over another conference champion. And to put that in terms of the criteria, 
uh, it would be a win against a regionally ranked opponent. At least uh, in my uh, in my chicken scratch uh, West Region rankings, um, not having put uh, all the thought into it that I probably should, um, I'm just running down like Whitewater, St. Thomas, Wartburg, Linfield, uh, Coe, Pacific Lutheran, Cal Lutheran. Redlands and then Bethel and Central out of the rankings right now at nine and ten, but uh, that's a, a regionally ranked opponent. And I wouldn't rule out the possibility that we could actually have somehow four West Coast teams, which would play right into the Penny Pincher's hands. Yeah, absolutely, Pat. You just send the uh, the North the Northwest Conference runner up down the coast to uh, to Southern California. Send the Southern California runner up up to uh in this case it would be i guess redlands going up to linfield and pacific lutheran going down to cal lutheran uh which would would be a uh a rematch of of a regularly regularly scheduled in-season game which they try to avoid but in this case yeah you might actually see it you know for pacific lutheran especially because they only have the uh the four and one in region record at this point where other teams are seven and one six and one uh you know their their main focus too is also going to have to be to finish out this season uh, on november 13th uh, winning that home game against Willamette. Uh, even I, I think they pen, pinch the pennies even further, Keith. I, I think that if, if four teams get in, I think you see a Northwest Conference rematch in the first round and a Skyac rematch in the second round or in the, in the first round, and then the winners go on to play each other, and then we knock off the West Coast uh, the, the weekend after Thanksgiving, and and the NCA saves a whole lot of money. I, I think that even though the the book says uh, conference rematches are to be avoided. Uh, that's thrown out the that's thrown out the door when or out the window. That's what we throw things out of, right? It's thrown out the window when the when the West Coast is involved, and also when Texas is involved. <laughs> um, next on the list is Baldwin Wallace, but uh, you, you got to figure that um, if, if, if as long as we're projecting, we got to project that they're going to lose to Mount Union, and they'll probably knock themselves off of this list. Yeah, Baldwin Wallace already with a twenty point loss to Ohio Northern. You know, doesn't make them look like the strongest of candidates. So, if you're a, you're a fan of a team in this Pool C group and and you need your team to move up or you need to to see some other teams knocked off, you know, this is one you can sort of sort of get behind and, and assume. But this is a year where Mountain Union has looked at times a bit vulnerable, and and I know the past few a few weekends they haven't given up any points hardly, and they they're starting to look like the team they've been in the past defensively. So. You know, there may not be an opportunity for Baldwin-Wallace to, to find that chink in the armor, but if there is, and they play that game on November 6th in, in Week 10, uh, Baldwin-Wallace will be at home against Mount Union. That would turn, first of all, would turn the, the OAC into a three-way tie scenario with uh, with Ohio Northern, and then we'd have to go to the tiebreaker. But then it would also it would also um, now leave the OAC with two teams in this Pool C discussion. Baldwin-Wallace right now is the the much, much less likely um, team to get in from the OAC and Pool C, not just because they still have to play Mountain Union and they already have the one loss, but in the strength of schedule numbers, they're they're right on the 500 mark. And you figure if they go head to head with Ohio Northern for an at-large spot, Ohio Northern not only has the strength of schedule advantage, they have the head-to-head win as well. Um, that's the last of the teams that's above 500 in the uh, in the NCAA's SOS number. If this were men's soccer. We wouldn't be allowed, apparently, to talk about anything else because uh, apparently, uh, if you have a SOS below 500 in men's soccer this year, you cannot get into the regional rankings, which uh, is a <laughs> a, uh, a crazy situation, which is not written in any rule book anywhere and, and may yet be rectified. But it has uh, resulted in two of the top four teams in the D3Soccer.com top 25 being regionally unranked uh, for whatever reason. But next on the list is Central. Uh, Central, in order to be still considered on this list is going to have to beat Wartburg and we talked about the whole uh, uh, three-way tie scenario potential in the Iowa conference uh, but that aside uh, A, assuming they, they would have to beat Wartburg as we said uh, in order to remain on this list, they're going to get the boost from the strength of schedule and they're going to have the win against the regionally ranked team so you can figure on them moving up uh, from the uh, 11th or so that they are currently in these unofficial Pool C rankings yeah, Pat, actually, the, the last four teams we have on this list are all teams who, who have a chance to move up. In fact, they, they need to win, you know, to, to move up, not just to boost their strength of schedule because they're the teams that are 500 and below in Baldwin, Wallace, Central, uh, Randolph-Macon, and Cortland State we'll talk about in a minute. But 
not only do all four of those teams have an opportunity to boost their strength of schedule number, but they, they need to try to force this three-way tie scenario in, in all four of those conferences, OAC, uh, Iowa, ODAC, and, and, and the NJAC. Uh, Central has the, the, the game they host against Wartburg on November 6th in Week 10, and that's their big opportunity to get back into it. But what, what's interesting about that is once you get into this three-way three-way tie scenario, if if it happens, you know, then you go to to each individual conference has its own uh, tiebreaker. That's at that's up to each conference. It's at their leisure, so to speak. And they they um, if in, in Iowa, if it comes down to this uh, Rose Bowl rule, and and if we interpret it correctly, and it sends Wartburg to the playoffs, then it could go back to that head-to-head result between Co and Central to decide the other the other playoff spot, and then you would have actually two teams, as we discussed with with ONU and Baldwin Wallace, potentially on the table from the same conference, and it would be pretty easy for for the the committee to differentiate between those two teams because they would have a, a head-to-head result and and tons of common opponents to work with. Keith, let's talk about the the, the tiebreaker in the NJAC. This is a lot more complicated than uh, simply going to the Rose Bowl rule. Um, you know, obviously, when you when you talk about a three way tie uh, and teams all tied with one loss at the top of the conference, uh, all the head to head stuff basically can get thrown out because for that scenario to happen, each team would have had to have split with the other two. So you can throw that out, and if they all have one loss, then the next logical tiebreaker which a lot of conferences use are, are results versus uh each of the other teams in the in the rest of the conference one by one versus the fourth place fifth place sixth place seventh place team obviously in this scenario all of those teams uh, would have swept everybody else in the conference so tiebreaker number three for the NJAC is opponents opponents winning percentage across uh, all division three schools and then fourth is opponents opponents winning percentage in region so they start with uh, one of the secondary criteria before going to the primary criteria in order to determine which of their teams gets in, it gets in via the automatic bid. Now they may end up taking, uh, because of the way this is worded and written, they could take a team that's actually lower in the regional rankings than uh, than another team in the tie because they're going with a, with something that's off the book first before going with what's in the book. And then after that, the Rose Bowl rule. It's it's bizarre because it's a very subtle difference, you know, to the to the regular fan. You know, a lot of us, if you don't get deep into the to the handbook, you know, you don't necessarily know or care about the difference between uh, opponents, opponents winning percentage in region versus all of D three. And and in in the case of the NJAC, I think this year it uh, it actually would make a difference because. Um, well, actually, I guess it would make a difference. I was going to say Montclair State's game against Westfield State is uh, is is against another East team, but a team from the Nesty, but it's still another East team. Uh, Rowan played Lycoming, and then of course Cortland State would would have played Ithaca for its non-conference game. So they're all going to have um, fairly similar marks, I guess, if 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 Lyco finishes strong, if uh, Ithaca, you know, is its traditional strength, and, and Westfield State actually is going to be the, the weakest of the three. From Montclair State, so that's the only number, and it, it's going to be a very small difference between their uh, their uh, strength of schedule numbers because they only have the one non-conference opponent. Right, especially when you're talking about opponents' opponents' winning percentage. You know, you've got all of your not only are all of your almost all of your opponents are in the conference, but all almost all of the opponents' opponents are in the conference as well. So that that it's really going to be if they get to that, it's going to be really. Uh, Slicing the uh, the uh, onion, so to speak, it's really thin layers of, of difference. So let's talk about Randolph making it, and we already talked about Cortland a little bit. Uh, Cortland sitting at 440 in the strength of schedule is really low. It, that would be uh, uh, a, a stretch for them to get in uh, with that number, but they still have yet to play both Montclair State and Ithaca, each of which is going to boost them up. And then, of course, we got uh, Randolph making still with uh, aspirations in the ODAC as well. Yeah, and the ODAC is one of these these interesting scenarios where not only do we have a three-way tie scenario going on right now, which which we do. Uh, you have you have Washington and Lee and Hampton Sydney sort of together in the driver's seat, and uh, they have a head-to-head game yet to play. Then the following week, there's a head-to-head game. If that if Hampton Sydney wins that, um, you know they'll still either way that game goes. Actually, this 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 last game will will matter between Hampton Sydney and Randolph Macon. But then you also have uh, Bridgewater has, has yet to play Randolph-Macon, and you have Emory and Henry that still has games left, and 
basically everybody competitive in the ODAC, a lot of the, the games still have yet to take place. You know, you, you go back to this past Saturday and uh, Washington Lee beat Bridgewater 35-34. So even though Bridgewater is not in the three-way tie discussion with Randolph-Macon, Hampton-Sydney, and WNL, the, you know, they may have an impact on it before this, this thing could end up being, you know, not a three-way tie, a dramatic finish at all. But if it gets to that, and, and this is you know, Randolph-Macon, despite being a 7-1 a, a team right now, they, they need some things to happen. One is to, um, they, they need for, for Hampton-Sydney, I believe, if I'm saying, if I'm, I'm working this all out right in my head, right, they need Hampton-Sydney to beat WNL because Macon already lost to WNL 42-28. So Hampton-Sydney wins that game, they beat WNL. That makes the Week 11 Randolph-Macon-Hampton-Sydney rivalry game a chance for Macon to, to turn this into a three-way tie. Uh, potentially earn the, the automatic bid and put Hampton Sydney down or put WNL down in this pool C group. It's uh, it's so much yet to be seen or, or yet to be determined in, in the ODAC, and there's only three weeks left to play. A WNL with two regional losses. Uh, project project them picking up a third in order to be in the pool C discussion. Uh, they're not going to be an at-large contender. But Hampton Sydney uh, be very strong uh, pool C contender. They enter the week uh, with a 573 SOS, uh, if they lose one of those final two games, uh, you know their their SOS is actually probably still going to go up. They have they they have Guilford this week, which is 0 and 7. But uh, WNL is is 5 and 2. Uh, Randolph Macon 7 and 1. You know that that's an SOS number that's going to go up. And of the teams that we didn't talk about because they're undefeated, Hampton City would probably fare pretty well. And you know teams that are on the bubble really want Hampton City to win the conference. A- absolutely. In fact. When you get to, down to this week 10, week 11, you're going to find a lot of teams, you know, if they're following this thing closely, especially if you're someone, you know, like Bethel or, uh, or like Ohio Northern where you've, you've played your tough opponents already and, and you feel like as long as you handle your own business, you should be in good shape. But you're going to want to watch all these other, other games just to see how they fall out. You know, uh, Harden-Simmons is another one that's going to care. Pacific Lutheran's going to care what's happening uh, in the ODAC. You know, going back to the original point you made about um, those teams losing. Now, Hampton Sydney is is one that could, right could drop into that Pool C picture, and you know by by losing to you know they could beat Washington Lee, lose to Randolph Macon. They'll be a nine and one Pool C team with with a very strong resume. There's a couple other teams that are right now they're Pool A leaders. They're they're in front for their automatic bid, but they still have a big game coming up that could swing things. Hampton City still has to play seven and one Randolph Macon Wittenberg in the in the North Coast. They still have to play six and one Wabash. And uh and Ursinus is one that we haven't mentioned at all, really, not just in, in this particular podcast, but much at all this season. They still have a game left at Muhlenberg uh on November sixth. Yeah, uh, let's let's talk about Wittenberg, for example. Uh, Wittenberg is a team that is on the verge of just dropping all the way out of the playoff picture entirely. Their their strength of schedule is I don't have a, a good polite word for it. Uh, 223rd out of uh, the 225 that our, our software is capable of measuring, really, it would be 225th once you put St. John's and Kings where they belong. So 225 out of 227. 352 is the uh, is the SOS number. I, I, I mocked up North Region rankings, and even if the NCAA sticks with its, again, I don't have a polite word for it, um, misguided uh, <laughs> ranking system where everybody undefeated uh, falls ahead of anybody with one loss. Wittenberg at best is the sixth ranked team in the North Region rankings when they come out on, on Wednesday afternoon behind Mountain Union, Wheaton, North Central, Case, Trine, then Wittenberg. And to be honest with you, uh, I put them behind Ohio Northern as well uh, as, a, as a very strongly uh, a, a very strong scheduled one loss team. I, I would really put them seventh um, and, and you know, and we'd have to talk about Franklin to be honest with you, but uh, that that's another story. Uh, at the very least, seventh in the region. Uh, if they lose, I, I'd have to say that they don't have any uh, they don't have any shot whatsoever. At, at least not in a group this big. You know, with all these Pool C contenders still on the board, Pat. Uh, we've seen years where Week Ten, Week Eleven, a whole bunch of teams that are in great shape going into those last couple weeks. You know, they, they take a loss, an unexpected loss, and suddenly a team, you know, that, that didn't have any chance hops into the, the playoffs. You know, we go back, I guess, 08, where, where Wheaton wasn't even 
hardly in the discussion going into week 11 and so many teams lost that they ended up being the last team to get in the playoffs. So there, there's certainly a chance any team, you know, that, that's hanging on by a thread sometimes still has a chance even going into the last week. But, but Pat, you're right. The, the strength of schedule number for Wittenberg is so bad that they can't afford to lose to, to Wabash uh, on November 6th. And I don't, I don't know if we, we got to this third team that, that's right now a Pool A leader but could become a, a Pool C team with, with a loss is, uh, is Ursinus. Now, they still have to go to Muhlenberg on November 6th. And Muhlenberg's sort of quietly hanging around the, uh, the, the top of the Centennial Conference. You know, that's not a team that's attracted much uh, national recognition so far this season. But they're 5-2 they're and two overall, 5-1 and one in the Centennial. Their, their loss actually is to Delaware Valley. Uh, so it's, so it's, a, it, it's a respectable loss you know, outside the conference. But 5-1, and one, they, could, um, they could beat Ursinus and then make Ursinus a, a, a Pool C team. And, uh, you know, I don't know necessarily where their numbers shake out, but it can't be worse than Wittenberg. No, Ursinus would be, if we slotted them into Pool C right now, they'd be right behind Hardin-Simmons and, and Pacific Lutheran uh, at 5-11 in a, in a little clump with, with uh, HSU and, and PLU. And, and, yeah, even though Muhlenberg lost uh, on Saturday to Franklin and Marshall, uh, they're still in control of their own destiny. If they went out and beat Ursinus head-to-head, they end up tied with one loss at the top of the conference. But uh, Muhlenberg would have the uh, the conference automatic bid because of the uh, of the head-to-head win. And, and that's, in a 45-minute uh, nutshell, that's your pool C picture uh, going into the, the uh, final three weeks of the season. Still a uh, a lot of uh, a, a lot of games left to be played, and, and as Keith mentioned, there have been seasons where uh, week ten and week eleven is just carnage, and, and who knows where where things shake out. Um, but one of the uh, one of the other, of course, uh, components to the playoffs, especially over the past few years, has been the uh, the lack of a number one seed quality team from the East region and. Uh, we, we touched on it briefly earlier, Keith, of course. Uh, St. John Fisher was one of the great hopes for that uh, this season because they had the strong strength of schedule. Uh, they had been handling their opponents pretty well uh, until they lost to Alfred. And now, you know, uh, th- whether the East gets a number one seed is, is a little bit up for grabs or whether someone like uh, Mount Union moves in or, uh, or maybe even Wesley comes up from Delaware. Montclair State is kind of the last unbeaten hope in this region. As as much as the NCAA likes unbeaten teams, uh, I don't think we, we see the likes of uh, SUNY Maritime getting a top seed. So uh, Montclair State comes into the week with a 471 strength of schedule number. That obviously uh, is, is very low. They're going to get a boost from Cortland State, uh, but they're going to slump again uh, when they play Brockport State. And, and William Patterson, actually, because Montclair is currently below 500. William Patterson will help them, but I don't think enough to to make a huge difference. Yeah, you know, you hit on a, a really a bunch of important points there, Pat. Montclair State first, they have to play Cortland State. They have to win out if they want to be that, um, you know, not only do they, if they want to be the, the one seed, if they want to even get in because of the, the three-way tie scenarios we discussed discussed earlier, Pat. But right now, they're 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 in good shape. You know, if you look across the country, right there, right now, there's about seven, maybe eight teams that that could be in this discussion for a possible number one seed. You know, Mountain Union finishes undefeated; they're one of them. Whitewater finishes undefeated; they're two of them. So you sort of wipe those two off the board. Wesley finishes undefeated; they're in really good shape to be the the top team, either from the South Region or the East. Um, and then you have a couple other ones who are in pretty good shape. Mary Harden Baylor's in good shape. The CCIW champion, whether it's North Central. Or Wheaton is in good shape, it, and um, there's one more. Why am I? F- uh, I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But in any case, Montclair State is, is right now the last team from the East with uh, with St. John Fisher uh, losing that game on Saturday. It doesn't leave, and this is what's happened the past three years. You don't have a strong East Region team to to represent the East in the playoffs, and there's no you know rule that says you have to have a team from the east, a team from the north, the west, and the south to be the four number one seeds. And there's no rule that says the four strongest teams in the country have to be number one seeds either. So so the way it breaks down is you take as strong a team you can find, the committee takes as strong a team as it can find to, to build a bracket around. And they're trying to get as many teams within a 500-mile radius as possible to build a bracket around. And when if... A scenario comes up where where Montclair State has a loss, 
your only two undefeated teams, you know, power teams anyway on the board left are, are Wesley and Mountain Union in the past three seasons. You know, just because of the of the the way the other teams in the group shake out uh, distance wise, Mountain Union has been the one they they've built the bracket around. But there's certainly a good argument for them to try to build one around Wesley potentially. Uh, if you want two West, if there's so many West region teams on the board, you know, if, if you get two pool C's, you know, from way out West, you, you may want to, you know, build a bracket around St. Thomas and a different one around Whitewater or, you know, there, there's so many things that can happen. And, and until you know the, the 32 teams that are in, it's hard to, to project exactly how it's going to go. But I can, I, I know for a fact that, that there, there are people in the East region that want to see an East region team represented among the number ones. There are also people in the East region who don't like the fact that they have to go through Mount Union before the semifinal round or before the Stag Bowl. You know, there's there's other arguments to say you got to go through Mount Union at some point anyway. What difference does it make what round you do it in? There, there, there's, it's just, it's amazing how much potential difference there is in the field just based on what happens in the next three weeks. And Division Three football is kind of spaced out rather nicely, to be honest with you. The the superpower in the North Region is toward the eastern edge of the North Region, so they could be pushed out into uh, another bracket. The the superpower in the West Region is really, in to be honest with you, in the, the southeastern corner almost uh, of the West Region and is very easily pushed out into the North. Uh, and, and that's really, uh, that gives the committee some flexibility, and it only, uh, it, it only took them about, eight or nine years uh, of it being uh, written into the books before they finally took advantage of it. But over the past three years, uh, they've, they've taken advantage uh, of it pretty much without fail. Uh, Keith, do you think, uh, I, I think Wesley's a, a really strong South region number one candidate right now. Um, you know, and I'm not sure that I would uh, be in favor of moving Wesley out. I think Wesley uh, may make a stronger number one candidate in the South than, than Mary Harden Baylor does. And, and, and if that happens, and if Wesley is the, is the number one seed in the South. Uh, do you think at all there's any possibility or any thought of making Delaware Valley with a close loss on the road at Wesley a number one seed in the East with one loss? Yeah, I, I don't see it happening. I mean, it, it certainly could. There's there's a great argument for it, and I and Delaware Valley is probably deserving of it. Um, you know, if they were to finish 9-1 and one with a, a, a 21-17 loss to Wesley, which if they were to finish 10-0 and 0, would look pretty strong. But you go around the country, Pat, and you mentioned the flexibility that the committee has with uh, Mountain Union being where it's located and in Whitewater where it's located. You go around the country and you, and, and you put these other teams on the board, uh, St. Thomas, you know, North Central or Wheaton. Uh, you know, you go down in the south, maybe Mary Harden Baylor at 10-0, and, and, and you have to ask, is a one-loss Delaware Valley team, even if the one loss is to Wesley, are they more deserving than an undefeated St. Thomas or an undefeated North North Central. You know that's the question that the committee is going to have to deal with because what, what they're going to do on that on that Saturday night, in, in November thirteenth, after week eleven, the results start rolling in. They'll be up all night. They'll first, you know, they'll get their twenty three automatic bids. They'll they'll pick the th the three pool B teams and they'll pick the six uh, pool C teams, the at large runners up. You got the 32 teams in. Then you have that group. You know, there may be six or eight teams in that group that may be in the one seed discussion. And once you place those one seeds, then you can start to build the brackets around. The the thing that you mentioned about Wesley being a strong South region, number one, they're definitely the, the strongest this season team that, that's classified as South region. But if the committee were to, to, to get out of its normal habit and, and look beyond the first round, you know, Wesley geographically is basically sort of in uh, an East Region team, and if you if if for whatever reason they decided that Mary Harden Baylor was the number one in the South, then you have those four West Region teams and maybe two teams in the South. You know, you you could create a bracket that has all the flights in it, and then keep everyone else driving if you really if if, if it shakes out that way. <laughs> I tried to do that last year, and it was not. Uh... It was not very popular, but uh, you know, send, I I would still be in favor of sending Maine Maritime down to uh, to Mary Harden Baylor or Harden Simmons if it came up, just just in case anybody asked. 
Yeah, I left you with nothing to say there. It, and, and, you know, it's fun when, when you get to see the different matchups. No, no, but it really is, though. You, you know, uh, last year we had uh, Mary Harden Baylor going to Central in the first round, and those, aren't two, those are two teams that, whose paths would, would never cross otherwise. And, you know, part of the fun of the playoffs is seeing where your conference matches up with these other conferences. And, you know, if you're up in the Northeast, you know, you're a MAC team, you play NJAC teams, and, and, and you play teams from the pack. Uh, you know, if you're from the OAC, you, you play CCIW teams or Heartland teams or uh, North Coast teams. Those are the, the teams that are in your area to begin with. So, you know, why would you want to get stuck playing them again in the first couple rounds of the playoffs? It, it's given us some interesting matchups the past few seasons with all these East teams having to go through Mount Union. And, you know, we say the committee has taken advantage of the, the flexibility that Mount Union gives them. But it's also, to be fair, the committee's been put in a tough spot by the fact that no East Region team has been dominant the past three seasons, and really we're left with just Montclair State being the last possibility to, to have a number one seed quality team come out of the East Region this season. We're going to move away from the uh, the playoff discussion here as uh, we, we wrap up our, our uh, discussion of, of what happened in Week 8 and... Uh, we're not quite ready to move forward to week nine because uh, there was one uh, spectacularly outlandish game uh, played uh, in the uh, the afternoon in the uh, the West Coast in the evening if you're in the East Coast, and that is the the Lewis and Clark Puget Sound game. And it, um, when I uh, posted on Twitter, for example, the results of Lewis and Clark's uh, drive chart, which is uh, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Touchdown, 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 and then halftime. Touchdown, touchdown, punt, touchdown, punt, touchdown. Um, and then Keith uh, referenced that as uh, uh, maybe something else we probably can't say in a, in a PG-rated podcast, but uh, the offensive coordinator would, uh, something would something the offensive coordinator would really, really like. Um, it, the game ends, for example... Uh, with well, it doesn't end with 1.7 seconds left because uh, Puget Sound gets to run one play after that. But Lewis and Clark uh, scores on a touchdown pass with uh, with 1.7 left. He you know, he who has the ball last wins. Um, you can see the uh, the the winning play on uh, as part of our plays of the week package. It's a it's a it's a nominated play. So at the very least you'll you'll see it. We don't know where it ends up yet, but. Uh, you know, it's one of the the four plays we've gotten in so far. But it just a, a, a just an incredible game. And, and by the way, Lewis and Clark does remain at least mathematically in control of its own destiny in the Northwest Conference with one loss and Linfield left to play. Although if they're going to give up 64 points to Puget Sound, uh, I, I'd shudder to think how much they would, uh, how many points they'd give up to Linfield if, if Linfield were, uh, you know, were playing the full 60 minutes with its first string offense. I agree with all, just about everything you just said, Pat, and, and, and we're not quite ready to take Lewis and Clark seriously as a, as a contender, but, but they're, they are having their best season in recent memory, and they're, they're technically they're in the race here in the, uh, in the Northwest Conference. I mean, just some of the things that stood out from this game, besides that drive chart, which is just preposterous. I mean, you'd love to have a couple touchdowns in a game, to have a touchdown every time you touch the ball, but two is, uh, is yeah, as we mentioned, the offensive coordinator's dream. You know, Lewis and Clark went up in this game uh, 61-42 with, with um, 7.59 left in the game. And at that point, you know, you have 20-point lead, eight minutes left. You feel like, all right, all we got to do is get the ball back here and run out the clock. And, and Puget Sound put together a 12-play, 72-yard scoring drive. And they, they actually put together two 12-play yard drives. They, they had six plays, 68 yards, and then another 12-play, 70-yard drive. And, and they scored with uh, with 27 seconds left on a, on a two-yard pass from Duncan White to Miles McDonald to take the 64-61 lead. So they rallied from down 61-42 to go up 64-61 with 27 seconds left. They're thinking they finally, you know, we, we this is the, the greatest comeback in history. And then uh, Lewis and Clark... Three plays gets down the field uh, in 24 seconds, and that that the one that pass with one second left uh, from Keith Welsh to Sean Evans, a 13-yarder for the uh, for the game winner, the 68-64 final. I mean, we've seen some crazy things, Pat, over the years. We've seen uh, you know a six overtime game. We've seen teams go several overtimes without scoring, but I don't know. And, and we've seen high-scoring games before, 69-62 and the like, 66-63. But we, well, we've never seen one 
That's both this crazy high score and then this crazy drama in the final minute. You know, Puget Sound scoring with 20 seconds left and then Lewis and Clark coming back scoring with one second left. A couple other things I wanted to point out just from that game. The, the, the preposterousness of the box score. Lewis and Clark rushed for uh, 260 yards. Puget Sound, negative seven. Um, but Puget Sound still managed 643 yards of offense because they passed for 650 yards. Uh, you know, some of the, you know, 34 first downs for Puget Sound. Uh, these, the, this, you know, crazy game, of course. Uh, Lewis and Clark was two for two on fourth down. Puget Sound was four for four on fourth down. They went for it four times over the course of the game on fourth down and got it all four times. I mean, it's just some some things you you never see, and, and that's always the fun of every season. There's just things that that you'll you see this one time and you may never see them again. But this had uh, all the drama of a great game and was still a high scoring game. Yeah, and. and he might get lost in the shuffle a little bit because he played for Puget Sound, which ended up on the short end of the stick. But Duncan White, 46 of 68 passing for 625 yards and eight touchdowns in the win. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the records that, uh, that fell, uh, there was a, a record for a uh, uh, number of extra points, and I've, I've already lost track of Puget Sound's email that uh, detailed some of the other things that went on, but it was just... Uh, um, here we go. NCA record 14 touchdown passes. Uh, loggers threw nine of them. Duncan White with eight. Uh, uh, Pioneers threw five touchdown passes. Uh, it's just, it's just crazy. And it doesn't maybe necessarily have an impact on the playoff race. But uh, you know, again, kudos to to Lewis and Clark, which is rebounding off of the basically program was sent to the mat uh, back in the in the middle part of the of the last decade where the uh, the uh, the program was suspended mid-season. They uh, decided not to play their conference uh, schedule because they were getting outmanned and outgunned, and the 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 numbers on the roster were so low. You know, but now, after three consecutive years of 0 and 6, and then last year 1 and 5 uh, in the conference. This year they're 2 and 1 in the conference, plus a win against Menlo, which was in the conference uh, up until last year. I mean, that, that, that at 4 and 2. Um, you know, they have the, the, the meatiest meat of the schedule left with PLU, Willamette, and Linfield, but if they come up with an upset in one of those, they've got a winning season for the first time since 1998. Yeah, de- definitely a tip of the hat to Lewis and Clark, and, and for them, the most exciting finish probably of the season. I can see this one. I'm, I'm going to put it on the list right now for the uh, year in review. And we'll have the uh, YouTube video to embed into it, and, and who knows, it may end up with a, a play of the week nod. Although uh, it's not, it, it may not even be the best play uh, out of the Northwest Conference from last week. Looking ahead to uh, what's coming up in Week Nine here uh, on the uh, Division Three football slate, uh, and, and we start off with uh, Whitewater uh, at the top of the pole, getting uh, perhaps its um, its biggest challenge in conference as the uh, as the Warhawks host Stevens Point on Saturday. Yeah, and, and and you only have to go back a couple seasons for for to to see a game where Whitewater championship quality team lost to a Stevens Point team that uh, maybe was a little better than this one, but maybe not so much. So uh, Whitewater, they got to keep their nose to the grindstone. You know, they, they look like a solid number one, but but can't take anything for granted. A couple of games we've already talked about. Uh, Montclair State is at Cortland State. Uh, Wesley's at Salisbury. That is a, a, a rivalry game uh, for the, the two teams separated by about 50 miles of, of U.S. 13 in Delaware, Maryland, but it might also have not only Pool C, but Pool or Pool B, but also Pool C implications. And then the crosstown rivalry between McMurray and Harden Simmons. And uh, Keith McMurray hasn't won this game uh, since Harden Simmons uh, reinstated football. Uh, but this is uh, you know one of the best McMurray teams we've seen in, in, a, in a while. It, it, you mentioned Harden Simmons has to worry about uh, winning out. This is one of those games they got to worry about. Yeah, especially with the way McMurray's been able to move the ball this season. You know, Harden Simmons is going to have to play its best game defensively. That, that smells like a shootout, and there's been a bunch of them in the American Southwest this year. And uh, Harden Simmons probably can can score with a lot of teams uh, in, in the nation. You know, they put up 63, I believe, this past week, and 56 the week before. So this could be one of those back and forth games. But they, if Harden Simmons wants to stay in this Pool C discussion, you know, gone are the years of, of chalking up the crosstown rivalry with McMurray as in. Uh, as an easy win, they're going to have to to, to to finish this one off. 
Wheaton is at Augustana, and Augustana five and two overall, three and one in the league, still has a still has a path to a three-way tie in the CCIW. Uh, Cal Lutheran is at Claremont Mud Scripps. We mentioned earlier CMS with just uh, the the one conference loss uh, might be in over their heads against Cal Lutheran, but they still have uh, their path mathematically in front of them. In the the crazy USA South race, uh, Ferrum is at Christopher Newport, two of the uh, of the quad leaders in that league, squaring off. Uh, St. Norbert is at Ripon in a, a, a game between uh, some of the uh, Midwest Conference leaders. And then the, uh, the the Pool B game that maybe that everybody's been waiting for, I don't know, is uh, Norwich at SUNY Maritime, Keith. And that is uh, one loss Norwich at undefeated SUNY Maritime. And, and Maritime got off to a, you know, uh, by, all, uh, by all measures for them, a great start. But they've, uh, they, they've struggled a little bit lately. I, I was surprised, for example, that they... They only put up 23 points at home against Becker. Then they had to come back and win on the road at Mount Ida. Uh, and, uh, and if Norwich wins this game, I think maybe neither of them gets in to the playoffs. You know, it, it's probably a shame for, for those two teams to view it that way, but it, it could definitely be the case if Salisbury is able to pull off the upset against Wesley because uh, the Salisbury right now is a 6-1 team with only a four-point loss to Hampton-Sydney, which is unbeaten. And... Uh, SUNY Maritime, you know, when you come from a conference that's young and doesn't have a lot of respect, you're going to probably have to finish undefeated. And also, not only does the conference not have a lot of respect, but doesn't doesn't stack up necessarily with the strength of schedule numbers. You know, Salisbury is probably going to have a much, much better number. But the problem for them is they also have to win again this week to keep pace. But, uh, yeah, I, I bet there'll be a big, big Norwich fan. Uh, everybody in Pool B, I guess, big Norwich fans this week so they, they can hopefully uh, get SUNY Maritime knocked down a peg and, and move them up a slot. Yeah, SUNY Maritime, if it had one loss, and then Norwich, if it had one loss, both would pale in comparison in strength of schedule to Salisbury. I don't know if, if Salisbury at two losses would be enough to overcome that, but they would certainly be, uh, you know, by traditional strengths and measures, uh, stronger than either of the two teams out of the ECFC, at least for, for this year. And that wraps up our Around the Nation podcast as we finish off week eight and uh, head you into week nine. Uh, coming up this week, uh, first of all, and probably most important, Wednesday afternoon is when we expect the first regional rankings from the NCAA. Remember, those are the ones that determine who, uh, who gets into the playoffs and, and where they might get seated. Uh, it's not a straight one to eight, and we've been through it. If you listen to the first 45 minutes of the podcast, hopefully we didn't confuse you because that's how teams get selected. Um, We've got a statistical spotlight coming out overnight on Monday night. Uh, we'll announce the play of the week uh, in the noon Eastern time hour on uh, Tuesday. And then we'll have around the region columns uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday and then around the nation on Thursday as we get you in to week nine coming up Friday and Saturday. He's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman, and thanks for listening to the Around the Nation podcast.